So, Rachel? Yeah? On Valera 3, Jordy and Data discover a microscopic life form responsible for the death of an engineer stationed on the base. Oh, dear. What do you think you're going to get? Another infection episode where Bev will have lost her senses again and no precautions will be taken. Jordy will catch it and get sweaty. Yes. The life form will communicate with them and will think about whether it has the same right to life as humans. Hmm. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, Stardate 4146.3.9. While mapping the Pleiades cluster, we have been asked by the Federation to visit a group terraforming Valara 3. Communications have been erratic, and there is some concern about their welfare. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I am her husband, Chris Lackey, a Star Trek fan. A huge Star Trek fan. Yeah. And I'm not. No? No? Still? Nah, people are convincing themselves that I am now, but be real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of Star Trek fans. That's true. They're lovely. You're definitely a fan of Star Trek fans. Yeah, well, not all of them, but the ones who listen to this show are. Yes, they're treasures. I'm watching these for the first time. Some of them I love. Some of them are silly. Yeah. And everything in between. That's true. Let's go on a journey. Now, with this episode, it's called Home Soil. Makes me think of doing some gardening. Makes me think of homeschool. Oh, boy. Not for long. Not for long. We'll see. I, I'll believe it when the kids actually go to school. Yeah. I'm waiting for that carpet to get pulled out from underneath oh. us. Currently, we're not allowed to even have a friend over to the garden. Mm. But soon, our children will be in a classroom <laughs> with 29 other children. Will it happen? Oh. We'll see. Let's get into some Star Trek. Yeah. Our crew is orbiting a planet being terraformed. Picard hails the station, but he gets no answer. Finally, director Kurt Mendel responds. It's a guy in his 60s, I guess, with a boiler suit with a cool denim lining. They have crossover button-down tops, but they all have them undone. Why? Well, it's very Star Trek. Star Trek 2. And 3. And 4 and 5 and 6. <laughs> yeah. They all have them down always in this episode, mm. so I don't understand why that fashion choice was made. They're just trying to add a little flair to the usual boiler suit. I guess so. Now, he's personable, but he says that they are too busy to receive Picard and crew. Yeah. Now, Troy, her big old eyes get all wide, and she mm. senses his nervousness, especially around them beaming down. So she says, Picard, this guy's hiding something. He's yeah. being shifty. And to be fair, you wouldn't know, would you, unless you had her on board? Exactly. She's mm. being useful again. So Troy, Riker, Yar, Data, and LaForge beam down to the facility. They're greeted by hydraulic specialist Melenson. Biosphere designer Louisa Kim and chief engineer Bjorn Benson. Louisa is played by former Miss Hawaii Elizabeth Lindsay, best known for drama series China Beach. Oh, yeah, that's where she's from. Oh, yeah. She is a doctor of cultural anthropology, and in 2010, she received the Visionary Award from the United Nations for her contributions in intercultural engagement and understanding, including her work with the Dalai Lama and with Island Firsts. Take that. Yeah. Woof. What'd you do this week? Exactly. Bjorn <laughs> <laughs> is played by Jared Prendercast, acting for the back row of the school play <laughs> in this episode. He was in the TV miniseries Making It in 1979, inspired by Saturday Night Fever. Ever heard of that? Um, Yes. Yeah, that's his kind of top mm -hmm. credit. Oh, no. Have I heard of that have miniseries? No. 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 <laughs> I thought you meant Saturday Night Fever. Oh, of course on. I've heard of that. 
the nocturnal adventures of two young brothers at a disco and with their rambunctious Italian family. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Kim can't start the demonstration soon enough. We get a long speech with her walking around and explaining how the terraforming works. Terraforming Valera 3's windswept desert they see outside into a Garden of Eden in 35 years. Mm. They transform it, she says, into a class M planet. Q song. <laughs> We've found enough like planet. I'm aching for answers, I'm peeing my pants. Let's go and learn everything about it. Hmm. Her ADR undercuts the speech a bit. Yeah, it's terrible. Hmm. Apart from that, she's good. Yeah, she's good, but it's obviously not her speaking there. It's added in later. Yeah. She says they have to choose the right planet first. Basically, it sounds like it needs to be in the Goldilocks zone, the right size and rotation, yet no life. Is Mars like that? Uh, or is only Earth in the Goldilocks zone? Oh, Earth is in the Goldilocks zone. Mars is too small, so it doesn't have as good a gravity, so it's not good for holding on to an atmosphere. Mm, but we're considering terraforming it? Possible, because it's our closest planet. Right. Whereas Venus is much more closer to Earth's size. However, it has an extremely hot mm. atmosphere and acidic. It's got like crazy acid in its atmosphere. It's just... Totally. It's got mountains and volcanoes and spray. It's the same size as Earth, but spins the opposite way. Yep. Yep. That's all true. <laughs> <laughs> Love your story, Bart. But as she explains all this, I wondered, wouldn't our crew know all that? Yeah. Wouldn't terraforming be quite a basic I, part of their training? I think so, yeah. But maybe not. Maybe it's a totally different... Well, it is a totally different science. They can't learn everything. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She makes excuses for Dr. Mandel. He's been under stress. They're at a crucial part of the process, and despite Picard promising they won't get in the way, Data and Jordy head straight for the hydraulic specialist for a tour from him, too. God, this is like the thing there at Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> He's been having problems with the servos that control the probes. Jordy, who has only had a five-minute introduction to terraforming, jumps in with suggestions. <laughs> the salty soil is disrupting connectivity. Good job, Jordy. He's, he's a smart cookie. Well, yeah. Five minutes training. <laughs> Dr. Mandel grumps in, reminds Mallinson of their tight schedule and sends him to work in the laser drilling room. Mandel says, look over there at our planning. <laughs> now he's giving a tour. He didn't want to come down before. But he's not getting his five-star review on TripAdvisor because no sooner has Troy said Mallinson is in trouble, but we hear some awful screaming and lasering sounds. The door is sealed, and when they finally get in, Mallinson is near dead and badly burned, a large drilling laser still pointing down at him. Yar takes him up to sickbay, but he dies. Mm. Talking of bad tours, Chris, mm -hmm. two stars for the Windsor Bath Stonehenge tour by Robert C. on TripAdvisor. <laughs> <laughs> they booked for the tour, but get this. <laughs> It was raining, and what's worse, because of this, the tour guide changed the order, so they went to Bath first, then Stonehenge, then Salisbury. The tour guide left them on their own at the Roman Baths, and they only had an hour, so they didn't get to see the quaint town of Bath. And then, you won't believe this, the guide didn't provide ponchos at Stonehenge, and they had to buy them themselves for $2 each, $4 pounds for both of us, they said. What is going on? <laughs> Why are we talking about <laughs> this? Because I talked about he wouldn't get his uh, TripAdvisor review for his tour. Why the Windsor Bath Stonehenge tour? I just looked up disastrous tours. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that that's, came up that's on the first page of results. Beautiful. Kim wants to go with Dr. Mallinson, and Dr. Mandel agrees to go as well with Troy and Riker. 
This is ignoring Troy's warning that he's as dodgy as all get out, of course. Yeah. Data returns to the drilling program to investigate. It blasts down into each of the boreholes, then pivots towards him. And then it starts shooting. Mm. But he dodges because he's awesome. That's cool. Showing his android powers. Mm -hmm. But what was it doing blasting into holes and making little puffs of smoke? Drilling holes down into the layers of soil to put stuff in there, probably bacteria. Just drilling everything from that one room. Yeah. Or that's where they're starting the process? I don't right. I don't know. Weird. LaForge and Benson hear crashing behind the sealed door. Data has ripped the machine down from its mounting because he's awesome. <laughs> Benson is pissed that a year's work has been destroyed. And Data's like, um, yeah, it was going to kill me, so I kind of prefer being alive. Android Trump's drill, doesn't it? Even though they're both made of parts. Yeah. So Data's your Spock, isn't he? What do you mean? You're just throwing in a lot of affectionate terms when you describe it. Because <laughs> he's awesome. And because he's awesome. Well, he is awesome. I mean, he's better. Again, he's better than everybody. And they established that quite well. That he's smarter and stronger and is immune to a lot of things that affect humans. Mm -hmm. And just like Spock was. Who was stronger and smarter and all of those things. Picard meets with Data, Yar, and Mandel. We were attempting to trace the source of the malfunction when it attacked me. How much more of this useless fantasy do I have to listen to? None at all, Mr. Mandel. Until this is resolved, I provided temporary quarters for you and your staff. Perhaps you'd like to make use of them. You're overstepping your authority, Picard. You have no right to interfere. Mr. Mandel, an attack on one of my crew gives me the right. I have a schedule to meet. Your schedule is on hold until I have a satisfactory explanation of this. Director Mandel. Lieutenant Yar, would you escort the director to his quarters? Aye, sir. Data says he's certain the laser was programmed to kill. Picard instructs he and LaForge to investigate, while Picard and Troy will look at the service records of all the terraformers for a possible motive. Mm. On the station, Data notices a single flicker of light down on the far end of one of those bore shafts. He gets no readings from his tricorder, so he asks LaForge to take a look at it with his visor. Ah, oh, finally! Well done, fellas. Yeah. Uh, LaForge scans the object. It's inorganic, yet the pulses of light and color are unexplainable. Inorganic meaning not carbon-based, like all life on Earth. Mm -hmm. And I noticed they're solving this with no meetings this week. No oh, time yeah. for that. Yeah. They beam up the object and put it in a bell jar. Crusher is on it. She gives everybody a tour of her science skills and <laughs> makes the computer her bitch. <laughs> No organic molecules in it. It looks complex and crystalline under the microscope. It starts to hum and continues to flash. Hmm. Analyze the pattern of the flashes. Not repetitive or sequential. Pattern not recognized. What is the source of the flashes? Unable to specify. Theoretically not possible from this substance. Disregard incongruity and theorize as to source? Life. Ooh. Mendel rages that the Federation verified Valera 3 to be lifeless. Picard says, did you know that there was life on that planet? Then that would violate the Prime Directive song. Oh, yeah. Ooh, you got to obey. Mendel shouts, I make life, I don't take it. And he storms out again. In theory. 
It seems to Troy and Yar that he suspected the truth but did not intend to commit murder. Hmm. They narrowed the suspects down to he and Melanson to program the drill when it was clearly the flashing beings. Uh, Obviously, we, we yeah. figured this out already. Yeah, why don't they know that? LaForge tells Picard and Crusher he has detected a shift in the infrared spectrum. The being's internal structure is changing. Well done again, Geordie. Glad mm. to see you're being used. It brightens, hums louder, and pop, there are two. Crusher activates a containment field around it, but the computer has trouble maintaining the field. The computer indicates that a translation request is being made. Yeah, I called it. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be doing much good. It looks like this thing is a life form, and it's an intelligent one at that. Mm -hmm. It's able to access the computer, and everyone gets out of the lab. Nice. Now, Picard gets up in Mendel's face about what he actually knew, and he says, look, I saw that there were patterns, but they were just meaningless. Picard goes, guess what, son? They got meaning, because these little dudes got something to say. They talk about shapes that emerged and then went away. There's no life on this planet. Yeah. Obviously, something was up. Yeah. Geometric shapes were just appearing and yeah. then going away. It's like, come on, you dumb duds. That's how blinded people can get when they're driven, yeah. passionate, and they've invested a lot in a project and mm -hmm. they just need to see it through. Yep. The bell jar has lots of lights in it now and the life form is expanding. In engineering, Ensign Haggis. <laughs> Haggis. She's not called Ensign Haggis. Calls up and says that there are power fluctuations happening and she can't figure out why. Then the comms comes on and there's a rubbish robot voice translated from the silicon life forms. They've hijacked the universal translator. They call the humans ugly giant bags of mostly water. <laughs> I like that. Which data points out is pretty dead on. Humans are 90% water surrounded by a flexible container, he says. Which is not quite right. It's more like 60%. And according to H.H. Mitchell in the Journal of Biological Chemistry, issue 158, the brain and the heart are composed of 73% water and the lungs are about 83% water. The skin contains 64 water. Muscles and kidneys are 79%. And even bones are watery with 31%. <laughs> watery. I know we've had this in a previous episode. Yeah, it was the original series episode where they were turning people into those little crystal cubes, remember? Oh, right, yeah. yeah. There's a whole lot of things that the writers of this episode have seemed to forgotten about the original series. <laughs> well, I can't blame them, to be honest, because <laughs> I have. <laughs> the crystals explain they tried to tell the humans to stop messing with them, but the humans wouldn't listen, so they had to get serious. The humans were killing their people, so they had to declare war. Just then, the ship is rocked. Data informs them that the crystals have merged with the ship and become a computer of sorts, calling them a microbrain. The more they grow, the stronger they get. Data deciphers that the flashing lights are actually being used to communicate with the ship's computer and that the crystals are much faster thinkers than humans. Where are the binars when you need them? Yeah, I know. Yeah. You have those guys on board all the time. Yeah, they owe us a favor. After a flare-up, the crystals power down and Picard orders them to beam the crystals to the planet, but the transporters are under the control of the crystals. Hmm, Picard's not really getting it, is he? <laughs> Picard then tries to take the atmosphere out of the medical lab, but again, no dice because they don't control the computers. Yeah, come on, Picard. But why is that a feature of the ship? Well, you want to be able to control things from different parts of the ship. You don't want to mm -hmm. have to run all the way down 10 decks to turn something on or off. Yeah, but why do you need to have a vacuum in the medical lab? Oh, oh, I see. Uh, well, if you accidentally... Need to seal some crisps. <laughs> <laughs> or what if a, a pathogen gets on board or gets released in medical and you want to shoot it out? Mm, no way if they thought of that. <laughs> Picard meets with the terraformers again explaining that they are all going to die if we don't sort this out so 
They recall the point where things got hairy back on the planet when they were siphoning off a layer of saline water. And Crusher suggests that this water might have been the key to their survival and used as a conduit for their communication and hive mind. Nice, Bev. Although the ones on the ship are managing fine without it. Yeah. Hmm, don't get that bit. I guess they've evolved? I don't know. The bell jar shatters as the crystal lights expand into a big old crystal. Data and LaForge think that the crystals may be getting their power from the lights, and Picard orders them to turn down the lights. Again, Picard, you can't control the computer right now. But... But Riker is able to go and manually override it. Apparently he's the only one who knows how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes down. Well, you've got to give him something to do, haven't you? I guess, but I mean, that's an ensign job if I ever heard one. Like, oh, go down, yeah. open up the panel, turn off the lights in the room. Like, mm, come on. Well, there's no landing parties needing leading and no seducing needing to be done sir yeah, i guess so sure goes down to right outside the room removes the panel and the lights go out this does weaken the crystals i felt quite sorry for them yeah they make a little sad noises oh, they kind of go oh we're dying you're dying huh picard <laughs> says he'll help them but he must beam them back to the wet sand of the planet they agree picard apologizes and promises to protect them are you better better we mean you no harm do you believe me? Yes. Good. It is important that you trust us. Not yet. You are still too arrogant, too primitive. Come back three centuries. Perhaps then we trust. We understand what you're saying. We will leave you. We will send you home. <laughs> but when are humans going to start getting less arrogant and stupid as a race? Is it going to start soon? <laughs> no. No. I need to stop listening to mask arguments and conspiracy theorists. Oh, boy. Get my hope back up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The crystals are beamed back and all is well, and we end with this. I wish we were able to learn more about them, sir. In time, Mr. Data. And we are better prepared. I wanted to create a place where living things could thrive. And all the while I was about to destroy the life that is there. Our apologies. And respects. Lieutenant Yar. Coordinate set, sir. Energize. Captain's log, stardate 41464.8. I have declared an indefinite quarantine for Valara 3, and we are now returning to Starbase with the three surviving terraformers. Perhaps the lesson we have learned from this near tragedy will prevent it from happening elsewhere. Fat chance of that happening. Why is Troy apologizing, by the way? They haven't done anything wrong, have they? No, no. I guess, well, the Federation was the ones that said it was clear. Yeah, so, not Troy's fault. Not no. that crew's fault. No. Just apologizing on behalf of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Data, keep wishing to learn more about amazing things you find. Maybe someday. <laughs> someday, Data. <laughs> Concepts! Well, terraforming, 
It's like Star Trek 2, but breaking it down into a longer, more labor-heavy process. Mm-hmm. More plausible to do it that way. Sure, yeah. Yeah, than just a torpedo. The Genesis device, yeah. It did yeah. it in minutes as opposed yeah. to, or hours, as opposed to uh, years. Having to draw saline out of a lair and yeah. drilling and all of that. Well, terraforming is theoretically possible, and I think there are plans to terraform, like you're saying, Mars eventually. Mm-hmm. There's even some crazy... Um, plans to terraform Venus mm. that you would be able to s- set in certain kinds of m- microbes that would be able to start converting all the stuff. I mean, it would take a really long time to do, but yikes! Wowzers! Theoretically possible. Trying to create life but destroying it instead by mistake. Yeah. And again, we had like the Genesis device, a planet that supposedly had no life mm-hmm. turned out to have life. Yeah. Being blinded to the truth by passion for an investment in a project. Yeah. A truly alien alien this time, which had not been recognized as life even. Yeah, I got a, a big bone to pick with this part of it. They're like, <laughs> non-organic non-carbon? life? Non-carbon? What? And it's like, friends, the Devil in the Dark episode, the Horda, <laughs> oh, is, yeah. is a silicon-based life form. One. Two. That which survives. That's the one where it was a planet who had defenses set up on it. And there was a hologram of the woman that when she touched you, she sucked your life essence out of you, killed a bunch of guys. Oh. It's towards the end of the series. Anyway, at one point on there, it's the Kalandin outpost. James T. Kirk wonders out loud if we're... Belly po- flap woman. Yes. Oh, she was a hologram. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. He- <laughs> no memory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> James C. Kirk wonders out loud if it were possible that the rocks have life, which reminded Sulu of the silicon creatures of Janus 6. Oh, come on, so guys. It's there. And one more. Let's throw this in there. The crystalline entity, which we only had oh. a few episodes ago. This is so sloppy. So sloppy. So the Federation hasn't even scanned for anything other than carbon-based life. Well, it's established that there is already such a thing as non-carbon-based life. Loads! And, yeah, just really sloppy writing. Hmm. And supposedly they couldn't detect even flashing lights? The Federation on their initial surveys couldn't detect the flashing lights. They did say they existed under the layer of soil, so maybe it wasn't until they started drilling stuff. But Mm. you would think they would have checked. I don't know. I just wasn't buying it. They didn't do much with the concept. Really? Mm-hmm. Just wrapped it up quickly once they were able to communicate. No philosophical depth or a character who insisted they still proceed or that it wasn't intelligent life mm-hmm. or sabotaged the rescue. Or yeah, it seems something. at the Federation level here is that there is non-organic life forms and they just accept that as the truth. So mm-hmm. there's no debate for that. Really. Yeah, Data it doesn't make is... it very interesting though, does it? No, it doesn't make it very interesting. It needed salt water to become complex like neurons, but then why could the bell jar one communicate? It used its light pattern somehow to communicate mm, with the computers. I, right, don't, okay. I don't get it. I'm going to go five out of ten. Yeah, I, uh, There were some neat ideas, but it was just kind of all wishy-washy and not really well thought out. So I'm going to go even lower and give it a four. Ouch. Yeah. Entertainment. It seemed a decent episode. That mullet guy was really bad, though. <laughs> The script seemed all right. I wasn't gripped, but not bored. Memory Alpha tells us again that this is the final script Gene was involved with as head writer. Oh. So I don't know what happened last time. He said that. Sorry, guys. Morris Hurley took over after this. He said, an interesting idea, but the execution fell apart. If you could think of all the problems you could possibly put together in one episode, we had it in that one. 
casting. Yeah. That mm. guy was terrible. Yeah. Sets, location, time. The fact that the director was getting pages the day before we had to shoot. Gene, that was a real tough show to do, he said, in Captain's Logs, the unauthorized complete Trek Voyages. Yeah. The universal translator choice was odd. I couldn't understand what they were saying in that robot voice. Yeah. And it bugged me that it split words into syllables. The translator knows how to say English words. Yeah. The boss character didn't make any sense. Mendel, he was really nervous about bringing them down initially, and then he kind of welcomed them, and then he was kind of saying that he knew something was going on, but he wasn't trying to kill anybody. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe he didn't make sense. For him being dodgy about it meant he knew. Yeah. He knew. But he didn't do anything to stop them finding out what he knew. Yes. But he still... wasn't a villain. He was a villain, but he was a really weak, wishy-washy villain. That's it. Wishy-washy. It was a rip-off not seeing day to rip the drill apart, but cool that he did it. Yeah. Some cool Bev stuff. Yeah. 6.5. Uh, boy, I was kind of bored with it, and there was a lot of stuff in there that didn't make much sense to me. I didn't care much for this episode. Yeah, I'm going to give it a four. Ah, yeah. Yowzers. Yeah, it's just it wasn't well done. It was pretty boring. The characters didn't make sense. Eh. Really? Gosh. Yeah. Well, is this the worst rated episode of season one? I don't oh, think it was no. that bad. Oh, no. Well, no. Rafe will tell you. Rafe will tell me. Sexiness. Bev was taking care of business and looking good doing it. Yeah. Riker continues to transition from creepy to charming. Oh, good. He's getting there. That's it. Three out of five. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, for me, middle of the road, 2.5. Bev did look good, though. She's she's an attractive woman. Mm. She's got it going on. She somehow looks good for the 80s and good for now. Yeah. Yeah, it's the hair and Talent. And talent. <laughs> Stupid experts rating. Well, I thought they did all right, but now that we've discussed it, mm. I'm not sure. I've feel like the audience figured out things way earlier. There was some proper science going on Mm -hmm. for Bev, though it took ages to realize that the being killed the guy, as he said. Troy was allowed to be helpful. Geordie was able to use his visor. Can Troy not sense inorganic minds then, do you think? I guess not. The terraformers were stupid experts. Mm -hmm. They saw something was making shapes in the sand and didn't do anything about it. Come on. Yeah. Several people out there will be pleased, including our own Peter Larson, that the adults did the thinking this time, not Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> so this one's for you. I was going to say one out of five for our crew. Two. I'm going to give it a two. Guesses. I was half right. It wasn't an infection episode and Bev had not lost her senses at all. And Geordie did not get it. But the life form did communicate with them. And we did have to think about whether it has the same right to life as humans. So those, so those weren't a bad jump in the no, dark. No, no, yeah, you you did pretty well. I mean, you're getting the groove of Star Trek, like mm. how it works. And well, I was terrible last week. Well, you can't always be winners. <laughs> you're so nice. But it's but it's true. You're doing you're doing a great job here, uh, and you're doing uh, you're doing God's work, really. Uh, really, which God? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to welcome some new patrons. Oh, please do. It's been a lovely month for patrons. Welcome everybody, and thank you. Welcome new Lieutenant Commander H.P. Puffincraft. I wonder if there's another (laughs) podcast that that person Mm. listens to. And Ruth Dunmire has been promoted from Lieutenant to Lieutenant Commander. Congratulations. Wow, well done. And we have a new ensign on the crew, AAR. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Thank you for joining the crew. If you're listening to this, your feed is probably automatically transferred over to our new website and rss feed Mm. if you know of anybody who's saying oh there haven't been any episodes recently please let them know they need to subscribe again if they're on android yes 
thank you. This is because the website kept crashing and we want to provide a proper service. Yes, of course. Okay. And with that, I'm Rachel Lackett. And I'm Chris Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!